Thank you, Richard. I would uh, like you to take your Bible out and uh, go ahead and turn to the book of James. We're going to be in Judges, but we're going to start with uh, the book of James. And uh, I, will, I will address uh, something out of James chapter 17, or Judges 17, but uh, the first scripture that we're really going to focus on is in James. Let's start with prayer. Father, this is a wonderful time for us to be together as the body of Christ. This is a wonderful season of life to live because of all the issues in this world, all of the, 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 the sin that is so, so uh, just vagrant. It's there. It's in front of everyone to see. And Lord, this is the best time for a Christian to live because we will stand out as salt and light. And I pray that somehow we today would be challenged by your word to be salt and light, to make an impact in the lives of others, and also to remain faithful and true to the one true God. In Jesus' name, amen. My, the, many of you have asked this morning, how am I doing? And, and let me just tell you this. The only thing left that I, any residue from having COVID, which I've been free of that for about 20, over 20 days, um, is the pneumonitis, which is uh, inflammation of the lung tissue, and, uh, and uh, it caused AFib. And so I could, might be back to a regular heart rate, I'm not sure. My cardiologist said that's just a temporary thing, it's because of the pneumonitis and, and you'll be fine. But uh, uh, I, I've lost some stamina, and that's, he said that'll regain as well. You're probably 85, 90% back. So some of you might interpret that to mean that I'll preach shorter. You would be, you would be wrong. <laughs> because when the Holy Spirit takes over, forget about uh, 85, 90%. Forget about lack of stamina, okay? God just has his way. So just wanted to forewarn you with that. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a look at this. This is a very fascinating passage that we'll be studying in the book of Judges. But just to kind of bring all of us up to the same place, because we were studying Judges uh, six, eight months ago, and then we pulled out of that for a season. We got to chapter uh, 16, and we kind of pulled, or 17, we pulled back. Uh, let me just give you a brief summary of the book of Judges, okay? The name Judges means deliverers or saviors. There were 14 judges in the book of Judges. These are heroes that God raised up to deliver his people from the consequences of their own sin, okay? Two of the 14 are mentioned in, in uh, 1 Samuel, which is the next book. So, Twelve judges are found in the book of Judges, and then the last two are in 1 Samuel, and those two are Eli and Samuel himself. The judges came over a period of 355 years from Joshua's early conquest of the promised land until the people cried out for a king to rule them in 10, uh, 1043 B.C. Uh, judges is a tragic sequel to Joshua. In the book of Joshua, this is a great book because the people were obedient to God. They entered the land and they conquered their enemies. They took the land that God had promised them. Well, in the book of Judges, the people are disobedient. And that disobedience led to idolatry. And it also led to many defeats with the enemy. It's one thing to receive the free gift of God, if we were to translate this into our own application today, it's one thing to be saved by God, amen? amen. It's another thing to walk in that freedom, to live out the life that God has for us. And, and, and that's exactly what they found. It was easy to enter the promised land, okay, trusting God under Joshua, but then later, as Richard read for us, they sought to do what was right in their own eyes. Now they've turned from God. Now all of a sudden things get tough. During the era of Judges, the whole book, you see seven different times a cycle of sinfulness. Let me give you the cycle. You might want to write these down. Five things. Number one, Israel served God. They were obedient to God's word. Okay, That's how it starts. And then they begin to succumb to sin. 
And thirdly, they become enslaved to sin. So you go from obedience to succumbing to sin to being enslaved by sin. Then, because you're at rock bottom and everything's been taken from you because you've been living in chaos and destruction and because of sin, then you start to show godly sorrow for your sin. And finally, God rescues you from sin. That's where the judge would be raised up, and that hero would bring them back out of sin. That happened seven times. This cycle was repeated, okay? Today, we pick up where we left off in chapter 17, and the events over the last five chapters that we studied before uh, most likely took place after the death of Joshua. So there really isn't a leader who will call people out of sinfulness, and, and, and so they were doing, the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, what makes this study in Judges so important is that it serves as a window into our world today. Let me tell you, there's a lot of similarity between how Israel acted in disobedience to God during that period of time in history and how Christians are acting today in our time. Okay, we're back, going back in time to see a picture into the future. There's a strong parallel between Israel and their spiritual condition and our condition today. And what I've, what I've discovered as I've watched, as I've observed, as I've researched, what I've discovered is it's as if we've fallen asleep as believers. And now we're taking our marching orders from the world. In many cases, whatever the world says, this is the way it is, we just kind of get in line. We're like cattle being ranched, you know, just bring them in, corral them. I'm seeing that in the church. There are people who cannot come and worship with us. And the reason they can is because they have their own pre-existing health issues that are great, of great concern. And there's other reasons and it is best for them to stay home. And I'm thankful we have live stream. But there are many Christians that's not the case. And what's happened to a lot of Christians today is we've fallen into doubt and fear. Because we've been hammered, inculcated by the world system, which promotes doubt and fear. And now we're not walking as people of faith, and we're not applying godly wisdom in our decision making now i'm preaching to the choir today because here you are sitting in church but how many are not sitting in churches today out of fear and doubt i'm not talking about being foolish and throwing all caution to the wind uh, with with covid no that's a that's a concern but we don't walk in fear we walk with respect to what's going on around us and we apply godly wisdom amen I think the body of Christ is right now crippled by its own decisions, not by, not by the Lord. He has not put us in a, in a holding pattern. We've succumbed to what the world is doing. We're in a holding pattern because of the world. Well, guess what? It's time to wake up! Praise God! Let's come alive as the body. Let's be a people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't mean that we're foolish. It doesn't mean that we ignore things that should be paid attention to. But it means that even in those things, we're going to make sure that we apply faith to our decision-making. Faith never leaves us. It's who we are in Christ. Amen? So doubt and fear seem to have gripped many today. We've forgotten that we are the people of faith it's time to come back to God. But it's also time to apply godly wisdom, and that's a whole other concern. The world functions out of worldly wisdom. Christians, every believer, everyone who's been regenerated through Christ must walk in godly wisdom, wisdom that comes from above. Take your Bible. If you're at Ephesians chapter 3, please, Turn to Ephesians 3. I know I said, or I'm sorry, James chapter 3. James 3. We are, see, I'm already ahead of you. I'm thinking of, the, of a passage in Ephesians that I'm going to very quickly here. Ephesians chapter 3. You're paying attention. Good. Okay. James chapter 3. 
<laughs> the residue of COVID, that's what that is, okay. It says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? So here's what he's asking. Who is skillfully applying knowledge to the matter of practical living? In fact, there's your definition for, for, for godly wisdom. If you want to write that down, uh, do we have a slide that we can put, put on the screen? There, a slide for that. The definition for wisdom, wisdom is, is the skillful ability to apply knowledge to matters of practical living. Go to verse 13 again, the second part of verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness does not mean weakness, right? You guys know that. Okay? It's, it doesn't mean that you're in fear. It means that you are strength. God's strength in you is under control. Okay? That's meekness. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I'm just going to say it, and if it steps on your toes, you're going to have to move your feet. But the reality is, what I just read to you about, about godly wisdom, what I just said to you about a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen to me. Right now, in this age that we're living in, under all the fears that are gripping the world, we ought to be walking with peace. And we ought to have strength of God in us that leads us in our decision making. We walk by wisdom and by faith. Godly wisdom. So James draws a contrast between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Let's look at that. There's a, I'll put a slide up for you. What is worldly wisdom? And I want you to measure worldly wisdom against the wisdom you've been practicing in your life lately, okay? Man's wisdom. Worldly wisdom is man's wisdom. It comes from man. It's centered in man. Worldly wisdom is not from God, it is of the flesh. In other words, it appeals, the, the wisdom of the world starts with what man feels is best. Remember what our text said? That, that in that period of time in Judges, they did what was right in their own eyes. Also, worldly wisdom is often fueled by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It might not be directly seen, but it's there. Jealousy and selfish ambition always exist where God is not prominent, where God is not focused upon. And then it's influenced by demons. Worldly wisdom has demonic influence all over it. Don't tell me that when you turn on the news and you listen to politicians going back and forth that there's not demonic activity connected to what they're saying. In most cases, the enemy is influencing the words that are coming out of people's mouths today. Worldly wisdom has demonic influence. And lastly, you can only reap chaos and destruction. You can't get something good out of something that's bad. When you remove God from the equation, you're left with nothing but destruction, chaos, confusion. No wonder we're seeing what we're seeing in our world today. Now, what is heavenly wisdom based on what Paul is teaching, or James is teaching here? Heavenly wisdom is God's wisdom. God's wisdom is not from this world. It is from above. You can't, listen, if you're not in the word of God, you won't know God's wisdom. If you're spending all of your energy listening to what's happening in the world and listening to worldly people who practice worldly wisdom tell you about everything in the world, guess what? You will not walk in the wisdom of God because heavenly wisdom is spiritual. It's not fleshly. Heavenly wisdom is fueled by a regenerated heart. 
someone who had a depraved heart, depraved mind, someone who was lost in their sin, and God saved them. The Holy Spirit regenerated their spirit, and now their heart has been renewed. Now they walk as a new person in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's a person who can apply godly wisdom. Without a a change in your heart, without salvation, the Holy Spirit cannot come into you. Well, he's among you. He's trying to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But he's not in you giving you worldly or, or godly wisdom. Then next, it's, it's revealed to us. God's wisdom is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And again, you're in the word of God, and God brings the word alive where you understand it, you walk in it. And then lastly, godly wisdom reaps what is pure. It, now think about the world today. Godly wisdom reaps what is pure, what is peaceable, what is gentle, what is open to reason. It's not somebody like this with blinders who just simply, this is the way it is. ah." It's somebody who knows what they believe based on the word of God, but they allow others to speak and they listen. What did Paul say? I become all things to all people that by all means, some might be saved. Paul didn't just come into the room and start talking. Paul listened to find out where they were in their life and in their reasoning and in their belief system. And then he came with the word of God where they needed it, where they would, under, where they would be able to see the significance of Christ. That's the way we're to handle ourselves, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits. When you walk in godly wisdom, you're full of mercy. You desire mercy. Why do you desire mercy for others? Because you know the type of mercy God gave you when he saved you. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You're impartial. I'm not going to treat certain types of people or certain individuals differently. I'm going to love everybody the same. The Bible doesn't say God so loved white people. God so loved black people. God so loved Hispanic people. God so loved the wealthy. God so loved those with an IQ over 120. God so loved the world. Because the whole world was created after his image. And we should respect everybody. I don't have to respect what they believe. (laughs) I don't have to submit to and accept what they believe. But I will respect them as a human being. And I will let them talk. And then I will share godly wisdom to their worldly wisdom. Amen? You see the difference? Guess what type of wisdom has gained momentum in this nation. Godly or worldly? Guess what type of wisdom many Christians are falling prey to today? Well, this was the case in Israel. Israel had become a nation completely given over to worldly wisdom in the time of Judges. Their behavior was characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. You're going to see that very clearly in our text our nation is looking more and more like Israel in the time of Judges. Institutions for higher learning or even the political landscape and the media that drive it all. We see a clear parallel to Israel in the time of Judges. And the outcome will be the exact same as in the Judges. No righteousness, no peace. Only a suppression of truth in unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul called it a depraved mind. He even said, God gave them over to, he handed them over to a depraved mind. Why? Because they suppress the truth about God in unrighteous living, in unrighteous thinking. And so God said, fine, I'll hand you over to it. And they were given a depraved mind. What is that talking about, a depraved mind? It's a person whose mind doesn't function correctly. Some of the things that you hear people say today 
And you're like, what? A depraved mind. They've been in that worldly system so long that they now think that what's right is what they see, the way they see it. Listen, I don't believe that's right for me. I don't see the world just through the way I think it ought to be. If I do, then I'm not applying godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is to see the world the way God sees it. It's to obey the word of God, Christian. Amen? They can't think straight, okay? To a depraved mind, good is evil, and evil many times is good. And if that's the case, it will always end in chaos and destruction. You can't turn away from God and expect a good outcome. In fact, Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. What is that? Foolish in their thinking. Right here it is. Pagans become foolish in thinking when they choose to ignore God, suppress the truth of God, and they walk in their own righteousness, their own self-righteousness. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what God has done. He's darkened hearts. You want it? I'll give it to you. I don't want to give it to you, but if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. And now you walk around and you're saying things that are absolutely cuckoo. You've become a real knucklehead and don't even know it. So this message from Judges 17 and 18 is extremely applicable for today. Here we see the total depravity of man acting out on, of human wisdom and reaping chaos and destruction. The only difference between chapter 17 and 18 is that in chapter 17, this is a picture of worldly wisdom and its influence on one man and his mother and their family. Chapter 18, it's the same thing over again. In fact, I'm not even going to cover all of chapter 18. I'm just going to give you the synopsis of it. But in chapter 18, it shows how it spreads from one man and his mother to an entire tribe of Israel, the tribe of Dan. How this worldly wisdom, how idolatry found its start and how it changed everything. <laughs> chapter 18 is interesting because uh, in Revelation, I'm sorry, in Revelation uh, chapter 18, or chapter 7, we learn about the, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. That's what they are. You, you ever heard somebody say that, you ever heard any groups of people like cults talk about the 144,000, you, you know, Jehovah Witness, which are really false Jehovah Witness, false witnesses. But they, they will say that they're, you know, that they're, back, back in the day, many years ago, they would have said the Jehovah Witness are the 144,000 that the Bible's talking about. We're going to be in heaven. Well, then they had more than 144,000 Jehovah Witness, so they changed it to say, well, a select group of Jehovah Witness will be the ones. And, and the reality is, when it speaks of, of the 144,000, it's speaking of Jewish evangelists. 12,000 from each tribe God will raise up in the great tribulation, and they will uh, walk this earth and they will share Christ and multitudes the greatest outpouring of salvation will happen during the great tribulation the scripture says John looked and he saw multitudes behind the 144,000 who had come into heaven because of their martyrdom but being saved under the 144 and under the two witnesses and now they're in heaven pretty awesome but guess what this is interesting you wouldn't know this, but let me share it with you. In Judges chapter 18, verse 30, and also in Revelation chapter 7, when it lists the 12 tribes of the 144,000, it does not mention the tribe of Dan. And if you go back to chapter 18, you find that the tribe of Dan, they say... We never got any land when we came in the promised land, so we're coming over here to look for land among the pagans. Well, the reality is God gave them land when they entered, but they didn't have the faith to conquer the enemy that lived there. So now they're looking for easy pickings outside the promised land. And now they've come down, and now they're going to speak with this man and his mother 
and they're going to have a fight, and they're going to steal the, the, the idols, and they're going to go find some little weak-kneed, watery-eyed group that lives outside, and they're going to overtake them and take their land, and they, that becomes their home. The tribe of Dan is the tribe that introduces idolatry to all of Israel. Where did they learn idolatry? They learned it from this man, Micah, in chapter 17, and his mother. The point is this today, that it takes one person who drifts, and that person can lead his own family away from God. And then it has an, out, an impact on other families until finally an entire tribe of people in Judges or a whole nation of people fall into idolatry and sin like in the book of Judges. That we have to be careful to walk at all times, day and night, in the wisdom of God, making sure we never walk away from godly wisdom and walking by faith. Especially right now, we need to be applying this. I don't have a clue how we're going to work through the whole text, but I told you that I wasn't short on stamina for this message, and I'm not. Genesis 49, verse 17 says, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Dan has become a stumbling block to all of Israel. And of course, judges, all of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. In fact, they said, we don't have a king. Lie. They did have a king. It was God. But they rejected God. And now they're doing what's right in their own eyes. So in chapter 17, one family influences an entire tribe, the tribe of Dan, who later influences the entire nation of Israel. And God takes very close look at that. He says it's a serious deal, so serious that when he speaks of the 144,000, the 12 tribes, the names of the 12 tribes that are in heaven, he does not mention Dan. I'm not saying that Dan's not there. I'm saying that he did not use their name because they were such a stumbling block. Let's turn to the chapter 17, Judges chapter 17. We'll, we'll move quickly through this. Judges 17 verse 1, there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spake or spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. Okay, Judges 17 verse 10 says, indicates that you could live on about 10 shekels a year. He stole 1,100 that's a lot of shekels, okay? What's interesting here, look at verse 2. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. Okay, remember we talked about how, how a depraved mind doesn't think straight? They just can't, you know, up is no longer up. Up means down and down means up. And here you got a mother, you get a glimpse into the character of Micah and his mother, their worldly wisdom. I don't know about you, but as a parent, if my child stole everything I owned and then returned it, they're going to get something from me, but it's not going to be a blessing from the Lord. She, she completely ignores his sin that he stole from her. And she blesses him and says, the Lord's going to bless you. Talk about somebody who's clueless knowing the ways of God. Because she's so far from the word of God. Ephesians 4.17. We finally get to Ephesians. Let me just read it for you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How did those Gentiles walk? Okay. Uh, in the futility of their minds. Who are the Gentiles? Everybody who's not saved. They walk in the futility of their mind. Why would you take your marching orders from somebody who's foolish? Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They're not alienated because God never told them the truth. It's because they suppress the truth due to their hardness of heart, it says. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. See, everything's about... What moves you, what you feel inside, what appeals to the flesh. 
and they practice greed and every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. As Christians, we're not to act like those around us in this world today. We're not to think the way they think. We're not to follow the rules that they lay out as if that's, look, when it comes in conflict with the word of God, you follow God. I'm thankful for uh, John MacArthur. I don't know what's going on today. They don't record their service live. They always have the recorded. You can get it later. But, but this a week ago, his, he wrote a letter to the, the governor or somebody, the big shot in California, in their, in their region. And he told them, um, you know, you put out, we cannot meet, we cannot attend service together. But here's where we stand on that. We will not render to Caesar what belongs to God. And so they put a threat out and said, well, you'll, you'll, you know, we'll take you, we'll put you in jail. So I don't know what's going on at his church today, but I know they're meeting. And I don't know if the police were there to haul him off to jail today. It'll be interesting to follow that. But there's a pastor and there's a people who are not going to line up with the ways of the world and the thinking of the world and let the world take precedent over the godly wisdom that they have from the word of God. We should not do that either. Okay, let's keep moving here. And he, back at verse 3 in our text in Judges, and he, he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, now look at this. She just got through saying, I'm gonna, the Lord's going to bless you. So she's using the name of God, Yahweh. Okay? And then she says this. And the mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image. Does any of that make sense? And a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So he stole it. He gave it back. She blessed him. She said, the Lord's going to bless you, and let's make some carved images, and let's make some uh, wood and metal carved images. Praise God. Hallelujah. God's going to be all over that, I can tell. That just thrills his heart to hear that. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver, gave it to the silversmith, who made it into carved image, a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. So they put it in their house. Some believe this was an image of a false god, such, such as Baal or Ashtaroth, one of the false gods. Other scholars, theologians, believe, no, she was actually making these images uh, in the name of Yahweh. Which, by the way, don't be surprised by that, because in Exodus chapter 20, the golden calf that Aaron made was actually meant to represent Yahweh. And I guess the point is this, it doesn't really matter whether you, you, you can say it's in the name of the Lord. That doesn't make it the Lord's. Don't be so foolish as to think that you can just name that after God or give God a piece of it. Lord, this new boat that I'm buying, I'm telling you, Lord, I'm dedicating this to the Lord. When all the time God said, you can't afford that boat. Do not buy that boat. You're putting that boat ahead of your family. I'm not saying all boats. I've got a boat. So I'm, I'm saying, but you better make sure that you're not outside of God's will. 2 Timothy 3.5 tells us that in the last days there will be religious people who have the appearance of godliness. They say the name of the Lord. They speak in his name. They even tell you what the Lord's telling them. And they're always willing to tell you, well, the Lord said to me, the Lord said, the Lord said, this is what the Lord's doing today. This is what I've been... There's books written, and many of us are reading these, these, these ridiculous books of people telling you what the Lord's telling them, and they're not applying any biblical scripture to it. It's just people who are doing things in the name of the Lord, but they're selfish things. By the way, let me tell you what's better than you thinking you're hearing from God by sitting in a room alone meditating. Let me tell you what's better. Open up the word of God and hear directly what he has to say to you. When you get this right, then you might be able to get the other right. But starting with the other or getting lost in the other, you'll never know the truth that way. In fact, your heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. Who can possibly know it? Don't trust your heart. You trust the word. Verse 5, and the man Micah had a shrine. It's not just carved images. Now he's going to build a shrine, and he made an ephod 
and a household god and, and household gods, and he ordained one of his sons who became his priest. That's somebody who says, I don't need to go to church. I've got my own church. Yeah, my family, you know, and, and we, do our, we do it our own way. Where in the Bible does it say, skip out on the assembly of the believer and do your own thing at home? The reality is, by man's fallen nature, he wants to make God into his image. He doesn't want God's image that God gave him. He wants his own image on it, the image of his choosing. Many religious people carve their own concept of God and assume that this is the God of the Bible. Listen, Christian, it takes effort to understand the truth. You've got to be in the Word to understand the truth of God. Also, notice how easy it is for Micah to have an idol made in Israel at that time. Nobody's barking about this. It's acceptable. It's the way it is. Just like in our day, things that 20 years ago would never be acceptable. Now, today, it's just the way it is. So what does he do? He first sets up a shrine, sort of like a little temple in his own house. And then he made an ephod. What's an ephod? Well, ephod was a specific garment worn by the priest of Israel. So now he's trying to imitate what they wore in the temple. And then he sets up a household idol, literally teraphim, T-E-R-E-P-H-I-M, teraphim. Those are gods that were worshipped in hopes of gaining prosperity and guidance. So now he's not placing his trust in the one true God. Now he's trusting in these little gods. That's what I saw when I was in India. All these thousands of little gods. You go into any retail store, you look up on the shelf behind the cash register, and you see this little man, the body of a man with the head of an elephant in every single store. And that's the God of prosperity, the God of success. He'll bless your business. So you don't need to trust God, the one who made you. Don't be so silly to think that he's going to do anything. Let's just create our own God. We have a plethora of man-pleasing religion today. Now it's common to see Christians and even churches applying these man-made methods and belief systems. Let me ask you a question. Do we really believe and think that God is impressed when we merely go through some rote worship service week after week? Is that really for God or is that for us? When somebody says, well, what I love about my preacher is we're out by noon. We're out by noon. I know a guy in town who on his website, here's a, this is what he brags about. He gives his name. It's 20 minute, 20 minute with his name. You can always count on a 20 minute sermon. You're proud of that? Do you really think that God is excited when you say, I'm 20 minutes such and such? That, that God's like, woo, man, that's, the, that's my guy. Who is that for? Who is he appealing to? I'll tell you who he's appealing to. When you do that, you're appealing to tares. You're not appealing to wheat. Wheat wants to grow. Wheat desires to grow in the word. Tares don't care about growing. Tares just say, give me something that's quick and easy that I, that I can get out of here and go have a good lunch. Is partaking in communion true worship when our hearts are far from God? You think God's impressed by your act of communion? Is God moved by adding a smoke machine or blinking lights moving lights in a worship service. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and an appropriate place for, for you know, having lights, okay? That's, we, need, we have lights, okay? So, but I'm saying, do we go too far with it? Where now, it's like, who is that for? Is God impressed by that? The God who, when they dedicated the temple, the priests could not even stand up in the middle of the worship service. You know why? Because God showed up, and the place began to shake, and smoke filled the place. That's impressive. A little tiny smoke machine that you pour some liquid in, and it puts out, sorry, it's not the same. We don't light our little spiritual big lighter and make the Spirit of God move. We come with hearts that have been changed by God, regenerated, and those hearts are open to God, and that's what makes worship work. 
It's we're, we're worshiping him and him alone, and we're not doing it in our way. We're doing it his way, according to the word of God. You need to be careful there. How does a nation drift away from God? Well, the text says in those days there were, was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, verse 6. Look, that, that refers to a radical individualism. I don't know how you can describe America today any differently. There is a radical individualism. There is a bitter jealousy. Look at the political system. Who knows how far that rabbit hole leads when you look at the political system. And we now have COVID. And we have all these rules and regulations being put that nobody can go outside and you got to stay away from each other. But then on the streets, they allow the rioting. Who knows where that rabbit hole, that trail leads? Don't think this doesn't exist in churches too. I've heard people in Bible study, leaders, supposedly Bible teachers say, they'll read the passage and say, well, what does that mean to you? Well, who the heck cares what it means to me? I want to know what God intended to say when he said it. I want to know what his opinion is on the verse. The last thing we should ever ask is, what does it mean to you or me? That's self-centered. That's me making God out to be what I want him to be. It's just like these people who, let your heart be your guide. Follow your heart. Really? Seriously? The heart's deceptive. It's deceitful above all things. But yet we see this in churches. We see this among Christians. We've been so inculcated by a worldly system that now we too have made it more about what we think. It's what's good in our eyes. God has to fit what I like rather than you succumbing to, submitting to who God is. Don't think this doesn't exist. It does. It seemed right to the eyes of Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. But God proved that it was wrong. It seemed right in the eyes of Jacob to sell Joseph into slavery. All the sons of Jacob sold Joseph, but it was wrong. It seemed right to the eyes of Nadab and Abihu to offer a strange fire before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. They were wrong. It seemed right to the eyes of King David to commit adultery with Bathsheba and cover it up with murder. But God clearly said, that's wrong. Do you think that God's changed today and now he doesn't really care? Or now he's loosened up the the regulations because he realizes that people are different today? No! Every nation, every generation, every color, listen, from all ages, we are all made in God's image and we're all to submit to the one true living God. Christians, that's who you are. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, when a man follows his own instincts, apart from regeneration of, 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 of his spirit, it's going to lead to chaos and confusion and ruin. We need to follow God's wisdom and not our own. By the way, that wisdom of God, it's available 24-7. What I'm telling you today is not like something, it's like, uh, okay, it's ethereal, But it's not real, it's not practical. No, it's very practical. I'll show you how practical. Take your Bible, turn to James chapter 1. James 1. What time is it? Who who cares? James 1, we're finishing up, I promise you. In verse 2, I want you to think about the age that you're living in right now with covid and all the mess going on in our nation and in our world, and all the fears and doubts that are being pressed in upon you by the media and by the world, okay? And I want you to read James chapter 1 with me. Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you remain faithful to God in times like this, it's going to produce a steadfastness in you. 
and let steadfastness have its full effect. What's the full effect of of steadfastness? Look, that you will be perfect and complete. doesn't mean that you're a perfect person. Um, Turn to your spouse and say, that's not what he's saying. Because some of them are thinking it right now. Um, No, it means that you are now mature. Because you were faithful to God and you remain steadfast, it brings you into maturity, spiritual maturity. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If right now all you're seeing around you is worldly wisdom and even your Christian friends seem to be confused by what they're hearing and what do we do and I don't know and I don't understand and I'm just afraid that the wrong... Listen, it says right here, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given you. But, it's a big but right there. Let him ask in faith. Don't go and ask God while you are double-minded. Part of you wants to trust what God has to say, The other part wants to trust what you're thinking. Look what he says. But let him ask in faith with a little bit of doubting. Is that what it says? No doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. No no godly wisdom will come to the person who is wavering. He is a double-minded man or woman, unstable in all his ways. Let me tell you what it means in the Greek when it says double-minded. It means literally you have two two minds. You're walking around like a two-headed monster. One is trying to do what God wants. The other is being influenced by the world. Hey, nobody can move forward when you've got two two different heads. You've got to come back under submission to God. You've got to let doubt and fear submit to the one true living God. You cannot take your orders from what you hear. You take your orders from God and his word. Does that make sense? Now go back to our text. There was a young man of Bethlehem and Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite. So here's what happens, just to quickly tell you. This guy comes... And, and Micah hires him to be his priest, thinking that if I have a real Levite priest, then surely God's going to bless this, and people will be impressed. Again, applying worldly wisdom. Let me tell you what he got in this Levite. He got a hired hand. The Levite was no longer willing to submit to what God called him to do. Now he's going to go out and try to make his own money. And he's found a man who's willing to pay him good money to be his personal Levite. Just like you have a personal chef in your home. Most of you have that probably. You have a guy comes in and you pay him. He's a personal chef. Now you can have your personal preacher, your personal pastor who moves into your, onto your property and you pay him good money and he becomes your pastor. Praise God. Hallelujah. That must just thrill the Lord. Well, and Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I am a Levite. He goes down through, talks to him about everything. And the Levite, verse 11, was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah ordained the Levite. First of all, Micah, who's just a pagan, who's applying worldly wisdom, he first ordains his own sons to be priests. Now he ordains the Levite to be his priest. The whole thing means nothing to God. And that's what we have today, many Christians we have bits and pieces of truth that we find from the Bible and we take them and we, we concoct, we create our own cocktail of our belief system. And it means nothing to God. It might make you feel better, but only for a short time because let me tell you what's coming, chaos and destruction. If it's worldly wisdom, that's the only outcome. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, verse 13. Because I have a Levite as priest. That makes about as much sense as saying, well, I know that I'm going to have great success with my vehicle because it's a Ford probe. Right. I hope nobody has a probe. Okay. Question. Do you think Micah is sincere? 
I do. I think he believes what he's doing. But listen, he's sincerely wrong. Sincerity is nice, but it gets you nowhere if it's not coupled with truth. A person who sincerely thinks they can swim across the Atlantic Ocean will drown just as fast as a person who says, I can swim across the ocean, and they're not sincere. They both drown. In chapter 18, the tribe of Dan goes about trying to find land to live in, and they end up taking the carved images from Micah that he made, so now corruption has come and chaos and all that to Micah. And now they go off and they take over another people and they take their land, and they don't realize that they're taking themselves into a path of chaos and destruction because they're worshiping other idols. They lead Israel to worship idols, and in the end, God says, uh, I'm going to raise up 12,000 Jewish evangelists from every tribe but I will not, in the listing of the tribes, use the name Dan because you led my people away. They're all, it ends in chaos and destruction. Friends, listen, let's get back on track with God. Let's come back into a life of peace, a life that makes sense, where you have the absolute peace of God covering you from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Let's not let the world guide us any longer. I believe this is what God's calling us to today. Father, thank you for your word. Boy, how the word speaks. And how even going back into the judges, we find parallel with the condition, the spiritual condition of many Christian hearts today. Father, we repent, we turn from, we think differently about the decisions we've been making, about the things and what, the, what those decisions are based upon. May we walk in faith. May we, may we hunger for godly wisdom from the word of God as we live from day to day. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Stand.